the automated podcast. So hi there, as always, this is Mark Verbenkov and welcome to another automated podcast episode. So this week I spoke with Bridget Tuzignant on the topic of automated journalism. So I've been meaning to have her on the podcast for a few weeks now, specifically to discuss a recent series of news events pertaining to a number of news outlets actually firing some staff and replacing them with AI systems. So though I have briefly introduced automated journalism in previous episodes, I really found Bridget's points and analysis to be much more comprehensive. So if you're intrigued by how AI is impacting the journalism industry, I'm sure you're really going to enjoy this discussion. So Bridget is a freelance journalist based in Montreal, Canada. Her most notable work was her involvement in Tainted H2O, which was a 2019 national collaborative investigation facilitated by the Institute for Investigative Journalism. And here it was revealed that the provinces were not accurately measuring lead levels in drinking water, which unfortunately left Canadians exposed to lead levels comparable to or even higher than those of Flint, Michigan, uh, even at the height of their 2015 water crisis. So she is currently completing her thesis in the Digital Innovation in Journalism Master's Program at Concordia University in Montreal, Canada, and her thesis focuses on automated journalism in Canada, its current impact, and the future implications for Canadian journalists. Well, hi there, Bridget. Welcome to the Automated Podcast. Hi, Mark. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. A pleasure. So I've actually been really looking forward to this discussion for a few weeks now. Uh, I think that you're right now at the end of completing your thesis on the topic of automated journalism. And it was really just in the last couple of weeks or the last month or so that a number of stories have actually come out uh, where journalists have been fired and actually been replaced by AI. So I think that both your thesis as well as this conversation are quite relevant uh, to the current times. Definitely. I think that it is a, an ongoing debate, even though we have seen, and I know we'll be talking about this in a little bit, but mm -hmm. what has been going on with Microsoft um, and how they had fired some, some of their journalists uh, to replace them with automated systems. I think that this is an ongoing debate where it's surrounding, you know, whether can AI actually replace journalists or whether it's just simply mm -hmm. being adopted to a system in their reporting. So I think that that is a huge thing that we have to look at right now. And when I say we, I just mean uh, the media industry as a whole as they continue to adopt these technologies. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that uh, Microsoft was definitely the, the big news that came out, uh, as I said, about a month ago. But there's also been like little articles every now and then that I've picked up about uh, AI replacing either certain tasks or certain jobs within the the media industry. So uh, I'm, I'm really interested to learn a little bit more because my connection to the media industry clearly isn't as big as yours. But maybe we can start off by uh, having you explain a little bit about the forms of uh, reporting or journalism that are kind of susceptible to automation. I can imagine that many people would think that like reporting the scores of say like sports games is something that could be really easily done by AI, but I would also assume that there's significantly more to that. Yep, so you're right. So, you know, the first thing to keep in mind is that automated journalism is really kind of an umbrella term and it's taken on a wide array of meanings because 
it can really be applied to almost every step of the news production pipeline. So what's most susceptible to automation is really it's reporting where there is very rich and structured data, which is why in its current application or where some newsrooms are using it now, it's really for sports reporting. So, you know, sport game recaps um, and business health stories, election coverage for governments, even crime reporting. So anything that's very rich in uh, or statistically rich data that can uh, definitely be automated. And uh, when it comes to those types of stories, you really get, it's using natural language processing to do like an automated uh, generation of content. So that's right. only one form of um, automation. But then you also have the automation sort of on the back end where you have web scraping, which has kind of always been around, and data mining using machine learning, where you're actually using uh, really sophisticated algorithms or they're doing it for the journalist or the editor or whoever to really analyze um, complex data and find really interesting patterns in the data that maybe the human eye couldn't see. That's very interesting. Uh, I want to I want to go back to the kind of first uh, form that you were talking about. I, I would also assume that say with uh, sports or finance or election coverage, a lot of these already have a very uh, basic or used structure. Right? So this is something that the AI can just kind of plug into a template uh, where, where humans are doing that uh, currently today. Yep, exactly. So you also have to think that, you know, algorithms don't build themselves, right? So there's a human behind that. Um, at least at the very beginning of automation, there's always someone, either like an engineer or a tech team that are building these things. Uh, but it, exactly, like you said, I mean, if I can talk about my thesis for a bit, there was mm -hmm. a journalist um, who he built the the template and I guess the algorithm for the um, automatic text generation that they were using in their newsroom for uh, junior hockey league game recaps in Canada. And so essentially, because there's, you know, on any given night, there could be 50 of these hockey games going on across the country. So it's, it makes it impossible to have, you know, a couple of journalists covering all of them. So as, at the end of these games, the, they just kind of get, these the the statistics or the recaps of like who won who lost who did the scores get plugged into this template and then within about 60 seconds these stories are generated yeah and i think that's another uh thing that i'm still wrapping my head around like how quickly this can be done uh as compared to the the human counterparts that have been doing it for uh, well forever well exactly and so that's what uh you know a lot of experts or people are saying is that the main advantage to these tools and processes is that they can produce at speed and scale so like generating automated stories and identifying interesting patterns and complex data it's speed that's unmatched by humans mm -hmm. and uh so i mean you said uh, speed and the scale are two of the main uh, if not the reasons why ai has begun to replace these journalists but uh, I'm sure that there are others, right? Uh, the cost savings, I'm assuming for yes, Microsoft yes. was one of the main reasons that they would be uh, letting go of the, uh, of the journalists that they had. Maybe you can touch on uh, some of these other reasons as well. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, that is probably, besides the advantages in terms of speed and scale and expanding coverage, the most important one is that, you know, all of these things can be achieved with very low marginal costs for newsrooms. Mm -hmm. And I can attest to, you know, the state of journalism in, in Europe, uh, but in North America, at the very least, unless you're the New York Times or you're Washington, the Washington Post, which is, you know, funded by Jeff Bezos, mm -hmm. um, media organizations are in a really dire state. You know, it's crumbling business mm -hmm. models and, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lack of money and resources. And so 
there's also a lot of job cuts. And this is regardless of automation. Um, and so because of these advantages and these cost-saving abilities of these newsroom algorithms and AI systems, uh, that's why we're seeing a growth in this sector. Right, right. And um, so do you think that this is potentially a technology that will save a lot of these larger organizations? Um, well, I'll start with that and then I'll ask another question after. Sure. Uh, well, that goes back to, uh, you know, a really, really interesting debate about whether or not it can replace journalists, because mm -hmm. something to consider is that, yes, you know, these things can happen with at a very low cost for newsrooms, but at the same time, it costs money to hire a dedicated team of engineers and tech people to come in and actually build these systems. Or if you don't want to have these things developed in house, you need to outsource. And so mm -hmm. that all costs money. So, you know, I don't think that this is going to fully be integrated everywhere because, you know, if journalism is still in a dire state, they kind of need to figure out first how to make money. It's kind of, you know, you don't want to put the cart before the horse kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, that's, that's perfect. That's a, a good segue into the other question I want to <laughs> ask. Um, uh, one of the things with a lot of the kind of emerging technologies, apart from AI, is that it enables smaller companies to actually become competitive uh, with the larger kind of uh, stabilized organizations. But I think uh, you touched on it already. If, if you have to hire an entire team of engineers in order to build an AI, maybe smaller uh, news stations might not have the resources to actually use these uh, these AI journalists or these automated journalists in order to become competitive to have the same kind of speed or accuracy or cost savings that the larger ones uh, would. Exactly. And I mean, what I've seen uh, through my research is that in Canada, the newsrooms that are using these, you know, artificial intelligence enhanced systems are the larger ones. Mm -hmm. The smaller ones are still, you know, we say that in Canada, the local journalism or community journalism, it's kind of it's Canada's news deserts. So hmm. they, they're struggling. And I don't think for them right now, anyways, that we'll see these tools coming in. However, like in the long run, if ever they are able to adopt these technologies or at least integrate them, I don't think it would necessarily replace their journalists, but maybe it would actually allow them to produce more uh, to maybe, you know, expand their local coverage. Right. And I, I think this touches on a bit of a larger issue that that we've talked about before recording the podcast was that the the actual use of AI journalism um, actually enables journalists to do maybe more creative type work uh, rather than doing the uh, repetitive or rote type of actions, whether it's uh, data gathering or otherwise, that might be a little bit boring for journalists to do, uh, honestly. Exactly. And so if you let me actually go back to what we were saying earlier about, or use Microsoft in this example. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so when Microsoft announced in May that it was going to replace, I think it was a little bit over 70 of their part-time media contractors with these AI systems for their MSN news and research website. It's important to mention that what these former employees did wasn't actually writing journalism stories. So even right. though they're considered uh, journalists or media professionals, what they were doing was selecting and curating trending news stories from various news outlets and then performing content optimization. So that's essentially, it's replacing keywords or modifying headlines or changing the pictures so that these stories uh, become more appealing to their audience, which you know drives clicks, uh, gains more views. 
So it's, but it's important to mention that while they were doing these tasks, which we can consider to be, or not that we can consider to be, but they are considered to be these repetitive and uh, routine tasks that AI can replace. So when they were doing these tasks, they were actually already semi-automated because they were being helped by algorithms. So right. there was already a type of you know, human-machine relationship there. But now in removing the humans from the process, Microsoft gave the complete authority and editorial oversight to the AI. So completely removing uh, humans from the picture and thus human input. Yeah, that's, uh, that's very interesting and also maybe a little bit uh, scary for some people to hear uh, that the entire decision-making process was given to the AI. Maybe that's a good segue into the problems of using uh, AI journalists. We talked beforehand about the fact that these uh, AI journalists made the mistake of misidentifying the Little Mix British pop group. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, these AI journalists have been operating for a little over a month and it's already made a huge mistake. And I think that it's been amplified because we're currently going through the Black Lives Matter movement. Exactly. Um, so the story was done about a singer of Little Mix and her experience with racism and her ongoing advocacy. So instead of using a picture of that singer who is mixed race, the AI selected a picture of her bandmate uh, who also happens to be mixed race, but is darker skinned. So essentially the AI algorithm associated a story about racism to blackness and then selected a picture of the band member who had the darkest skin, even though the story wasn't about her at all. And so after this happened and after it received major backlash, you know, Microsoft released a statement saying that this error was not a result of algorithmic bias, but an experimental feature in the automated system. And now what I think it's important to mention is that this algorithmic bias that they're talking about is the fact that you know these systems are built with inherent biases right and these algorithms are applied to all types of industries as you know as you've covered mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. you know your other podcasts but essentially you know if i if i can give you a, a specific example about this inherent bias built into algorithms and racial discrimination is that this isn't the first time this is a problem this has been seen with uh, like search engines, for example. So there is an author in particular from UCLA, Safia Umoja Noble, and she wrote a book about it called Algorithms of Oppression and how search engines reinforce racism. So in her book, she provides examples of algorithmically driven data failures that are specific to people of color and women, which emphasizes the fundamental ways that racism and sexism are embedded into algorithms. So if you go back to 2009, for example, if you would search um, Michelle Obama in Google search engine, one of the top hits uh, was a picture of her that was completely racist and just so mm -hmm. wrong. And her face was replaced with that of an ape. And Google mm -hmm. let that become the, the top picture. So there is like a huge problem with algorithms. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. There have been only a few of these more specific issues with the kind of inherent programming of AI, or even some of the, the technologies that come out of specifically Silicon Valley. Uh, one of the earlier stories that I heard about, uh, maybe you have as well, where, you know, you have these um, 
automated uh, water dispensers in bathrooms. And there, were, there was a company that was installing them and white people would have their hands recognized and have the water dispensed, whereas uh, a black colleague, for instance, would not. So the uh, recognition system would not recognize darker colored skin. So um, I think that this is a problem, not just with, uh, you know, AI journalism or, or Google search results, but it's kind of embedded in a lot of the technologies that uh, are coming out now, uh, which is, of course, a problem. But I think that the, the riots, uh, specifically in the States, have, have really shone a light on this. Um, have you, in your research, seen any kind of um, action towards dealing with this in the tech space? So this is something that there's a growing body of research looking into, you know, how do we hold these algorithms accountable? Mm -hmm. And right now it's, it's really not well defined. It's a very, you know, the lines are blurred because for example, Microsoft made this costly error, they fixed it, but then who is to be held accountable? It can't just be the AI. Mm -hmm. So is it Microsoft? But then it can't just be Microsoft as a whole because they'll just brush that off. So is it then their their team, the team behind whoever built it, their engineer, their engineers or their tech teams? So it's really, it's, it's tough to say, but then when these engineers that build Microsoft's AI system, you know, they're not, not considered journalists. So mm -hmm. for journalism specifically, it becomes problematic because, you know, for a regular journalism story, if a newsroom makes an error, they'll fix it. And because of, you know, the journalistic code of ethics, they'll usually release a statement or a blurb with the edited story and apologize for the error to hold themselves to account. So with AI, these lines kind of become blurred. Um, like, how do we hold them accountable for their actions? And that's something that's being studied right now. And again, it's not really well defined. Yeah, yeah. And I, th I think one of the main problems is that this is such a new phenomenon. Uh, what, what you're describing is very similar, if not almost identical, to the kind of ethical issues, or maybe even accountability issues with regards to autonomous vehicles, right? If, if somebody is speeding, is it, is it the person? Is it the autonomous vehicle? Is it the um, automaker? Or is it the engineers of the actual software? So these issues, I think, have a lot of different connections to the different industries that they're being uh, applied to. Uh, I think it's very interesting. And uh, maybe I'll have to have you back on the podcast in a year or so after, <laughs> after some sort of maybe ethical guidelines have been or accountability guidelines have been, have been created uh, for the journalism sector anyways. And, and that's the problem too, right? Is that it probably won't be... Yeah established for a while because this isn't widespread yet mm -hmm. the people that are using these systems you know like the washington post or uh, the globe and mail in canada um, or microsoft which i guess is more global they're big and they have money and right now you know journalists or journalism the industry doesn't have the funds to bring this in so although it is happening it's kind of happening with no rules it's gonna have to it's gonna be a while before this sector really, really grows to incorporate or to have or to see AI kind of more widespread, which means that unfortunately, you know, it's kind of going to be lawless for a while. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, you know, maybe a little bit of a biased perspective. I also think that why this is why conversations like this are so important, uh, because it makes people aware that maybe their news has a little bit more bias or does have accountability issues um, if they if they hear a, a conversation like this. Definitely. And so I, I just wanted to mention that mm -hmm. one thing that that is being established a little bit more is the importance of adding 
uh, a methodology or a byline saying that, you know, this story was generated by XAI or whatever automated system. And if you are using, you know, AI or really sophisticated algorithms to go through uh, a lot of structure or complex data, mm-hmm. nowadays, uh, I think newsrooms are making more of an effort to um, share the methodology or to publish the methodology to make sure that this is replicable, this is legitimate. Um, so, you know, there are steps towards making this a little bit more ethical. Right. Right. Uh, okay, maybe we can move on from here. Uh, there was one thing that uh, we had discussed previously, um, which ties into kind of the, the future of AI journalism or, or automated journalism. And this is a, a term that you used uh, with a civic prosthetic, right? And this is uh, where AI journalism is there to assist human reporters. You know, we talked a little bit about how these uh, automated journalists are re- replacing humans, but maybe you can touch a little bit on the uh, assisting or the augmenting nature of these uh, AI systems. Sure. So, you know, a lot of uh, the research contends that AI algorithms, news bots, whichever form of automated journalism you're using, will become complementary to human reporters. And like you said, it's this has been called a civic prosthetic or just an enhanced relationship between human and machines, um, where these expert systems will just assist human reporters rather than replace them. And so the main argument here is that automation can never replace critical thinking, ethical judgment, uh, and creativity, and, you know, capturing nuances, uh, and also more more importantly, human-to-human interaction, right? Because a lot of stories there, there needs to be a human element to it. You have to go and interview sources. You have to establish sources. These are all things that AI will never be able to do, or not anytime soon anyways, probably. <laughs> yeah. not, I don't even think in our lifetime. Uh, um, I, just wanted to, I just wanted to clarify, is this your personal belief or is this, is this something that you've read in the research that you've done for your thesis, that these uh, you know, critical thinking skills or ethical judgment or creativity, et cetera, will never be able to be done uh, as it pertains to, to media? So it's actually both. Mm-hmm. And all of the uh, news professionals that I spoke to in my or during my research, they all contend that there's no way that AI will be able to fully replace humans. Um, and that in any case, even if they encroach more of the news production pipeline, there always will, will, there will always be a need for humans involved. Editorial oversight is so important. And I think we're seeing that the consequences of not having any uh, with Microsoft, you know, it it leads to really costly errors. So I don't think that it's going to happen anytime soon. And researchers agree. Very interesting. Yeah, this is, uh, I think this is also maybe a bit more of a kind of a popular discussion, right? Whether humans will be fully phased out or fully replaced versus as you're discussing this, uh, this this uh, civic prosthetic idea where they will be uh, assisted and actually uh, have their work improved with the, with the uh, hybridization between the journalists and the AIs. Exactly. But I do think that people or journalists right now remain cautious and skeptical. And I think that they, they're justifiably so because, you know, if we look back to the automobile industry, 
when they started developing automated uh, robots to kind of come into these factories, they said that it was to assist the the workers. But in the end, they ended up replacing those workers. And mm -hmm. you know, the automobile manufacturing industry kind of it completely went automated and a lot of people lost their jobs. If you look at what happened in Detroit, you know, it was kind of catastrophic. And yeah. so there still, there is caution and skepticism. And I think that that's important, but the fact that we're having these conversations now, especially for, you know, I can't attest to other industries, but for journalism will hopefully help us kind of lay out the, the groundwork to protect our media professionals and, you know, increase this hybridization between automated processes and humans. Yep, I, I couldn't agree further with you. Um, I, think it's, uh, I think it's a really interesting problem that's coming up. I also think that with the manufacturing idea that you are uh, putting forward, there's a, there's a real problem with equating these different types of sectors where we have you know, a physical uh, activity versus a cognitive activity. And one of, the, one of the key things there is that this is a physical activity that's been replaced, whereas AI or automation systems will never be able to take care of these critical thinking or the creative activities that we do, uh, where journalism, I think, has been uh, included in that bundle of the cognitive activities. And uh, it's interesting that it's really only been in the last couple of years, correct me if I'm wrong, that uh, AI-enabled processes have really been uh, intruding on these uh, creative or critical thinking uh, activities. I definitely agree with you, but what's so interesting is that this whole argument, you know, namely, can computers demonstrate cogn cognitive intelligence equal to or surpassing a human's capacity? These questions or this debate has been around since 1950 with Alan Turing mm -hmm, actually mm -hmm. being the first one to ask this question. And so we're still debating the exact same thing that he put out 70 plus years ago. So it's like you said, where now, you know, we used to only look at AI and how it could really encroach the physical labor sector. Now that we're really focusing on cognitive sectors like journalism, like the arts and, you know, any other type of work that really needs or requires more cognitive intelligence. It's, it's really interesting that this is only re really being addressed now in journalism and how there is a risk, but also at the same time, you know, it can be mitigated. There are ways to, mm. to make sure that people don't lose their jobs and that this is more of a, a positive relationship that can be established between automated systems and newsrooms. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I think the the conversation always goes more or less. You know, will will jobs be uh, erased, or maybe what new jobs will come um, from this new technology that's being implemented? Uh, maybe we can touch on that a little bit. Uh, one of the things that has come up is uh, new forms of journalism that are slowly gaining traction. This is uh, one of the things that you wrote to me before was something called a watchdog role. Um, maybe you can touch on that a little bit and explain that because I think that's, uh, that's quite an interesting idea. Sure. So I just want to make it clear though that watch, this watchdog role has always been part of uh, journalism's ethical backbone where journalists or newsrooms in general have always strived to hold higher powers or people in power to account. Mm -hmm. And so in fulfilling this watchdog role, they're, they're always doing it in serving the public interest. 
So what's uh, come from, you know, all these algorithms and AI is what's known as algorithmic accountability reporting. And it's this new form of journalism, like you mentioned, it's slowly getting traction because it essentially consists of journalists uh, who are attempting to exercise this watchdog role that we just discussed about by holding algorithms and the institutions rolling them out accountable. So when I say the institutions rolling them out, this could be uh, the government who, you know, I know in the US uses it for, uses algorithms for policing, for social housing, insurance. And so it's holding them into, it's mainly holding the people that are rolling out these algorithms into account and not just the algorithms per se. Like how are they being implemented? What types of bias are in these algorithms? Uh, the only thing is that algorithmic accountability reporting uh, doesn't take into account, you know, newsroom algorithms because it'd be a little bit, you know, it doesn't really work where you can be an algorithmic accountability reporter looking into your own newsroom's algorithms, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's still, there aren't uh, clearly defined ways into holding these algorithms and newsrooms into account, but it is a, a, a good step forward just for society in general to start looking at these algorithms, to start trying to figure out, because like we were saying earlier, there's inherent bias, there's algorithms of oppression that you know amplify racial discrimination. And these are all things that we've only started to look at now. And so how can we make sure that they don't cause irreparable damage in society? This uh, new form of journalism, this algorithmic accountability reporting, um, have you in your research come across any uh, use of algorithms to do that? Or is this strictly kind of more of a, uh, a human form of journalism that is gaining traction or gaining more people uh, to do that work? Okay, so one example of algorithmic accountability reporting, even though this one is small, it's still a great example. So one journalist that I had spoken to uh, over the course of my research uh, told me that he was using a Twitter bot uh, to monitor every time a federal candidate retweeted during the 2019 federal election. Uh, and so just to specify, this is in Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, and so he wanted to see if these candidates were retweeting fake news or falling for misinformation. So he had a Twitter bot monitor thousands of Twitter accounts every single day to see, you know, how much or how many times were candidates falling for misinformation or propagating fake news onto their, their followers. And so by doing this, he was able to run it through a service that checks if the account being retweeted is a bot or bot-like. And then he would have a filter that would kind of flag suspicious retweets. And so he used that for a story to show how one federal candidate in particular was really spreading misinformation, whether they knew it or not. That's really interesting. I think that this is also leading to potentially more ethical politics, if that's even possible. Uh, you can help. <laughs> Uh, I mean, maybe maybe Trump is is throwing that narrative out the window, but uh, maybe in in other countries, this is something that could be uh, could be done. I think that's a very mm -hmm. interesting idea. Definitely. Um, okay. Well, those were some of the main questions I wanted to ask you. Um, I think that the last thing that I could I could really pose to you is, what is the future or the ultimate future of journalism? as it pertains to these uh, automated journalists? Well, I can only speak to, of my own personal opinion, because yes, please. 
like I we've said or discussed throughout this entire discussion is that it's still it's still so new to journalism and there you know there's no policies yet that are clearly established or well defined to really rein it in but at the same time you have to ask yourself does it need to be reined in yet because it's really not applied to that many newsrooms so as we've seen with with Microsoft and you know we could almost argue that this was a blessing for journalism in general because we're able to see the types of costly mistakes that AI systems can make and it's not the first one but since Microsoft is such a huge tech company mm -hmm. you know it makes journalists or newsrooms look back and say whoa we need to have ethical guidelines and we need to keep humans and have this editorial oversight at all times like we don't want this to happen to us so I think that the future of news work is really going to be this idea of a civic prosthetic where algorithms and AI and whichever systems you're using, they're just going to enhance uh, reporting and not actually replace jobs. Terrific. Yeah, this is, um, this is one of the many sectors where I think this, this idea of augmenting the, the human employee uh, will be absolutely critical going forward. Uh, Bridget? Can't thank you enough for coming on. I think uh, some of these ideas that you've posed are absolutely fascinating and again, very timely uh, as, as it pertains to the, to the new cycle. Um, how can people get a hold of you if they want to get in touch with you? Uh, I know that you're on Twitter, but uh, do you have any other places that people can reach out to you? Uh, definitely, I'll send you my LinkedIn and uh, my personal email. Well, Sorry, not personal email address. <laughs> I'll send you uh, an email address if ever anybody wants to continue the discussion with me for sure. But thank you so much for having me. It was a, a great talk and I look forward to seeing more of your work. Terrific. Well, thank you very much for coming on and uh, good luck with, uh, with the end of your thesis. Thank you very much. So thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you want to support the podcast, you can leave a like or a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you want to get in touch, feel free to do so over Twitter or LinkedIn by searching for Automated Podcast. On the website, automatedpodcast.org, you can leave a comment on any of the episodes, read the transcripts, and look at the sources I use in all of these episodes. There are also blog articles and additional resources and information on this topic and podcast if you are looking for more. See you next week. The Automated Podcast.